Well, let's continue our study in 1 Peter, please, this morning. And we are going to uh, finish this chapter, chapter 1. But we're going to look at verses 24 and 25 of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Last week, as we looked at chapter, or verses 22 and 23, we examined that salvation brings an inward cleansing, an outward showing, and an upward living. Verse 23 tells us we're born of an incorruptible seed, the Word of God, and verses 24 and 25 continue with that thought. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 in a message titled, The Right Perspective. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Too often in life we view things from an earthly perspective and view, instead of viewing things the way God wants us to see them. So two points that we're going to bring out in this passage this morning. First, we're going to see man's life is fleeting. Kind of referred to that a little bit earlier in verse 24. Our life is fleeting. It's just a vapor that van- appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Then secondly, we're going to notice God's word is forever. God's word is forever. So you need to understand the brevity of life and the eternality of God's word. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, I pray that this morning we would get a heavenly perspective and get our eyes off the earthly perspective. Lord, may we understand the importance of understanding the eternality of you, your word, Lord, that we have life everlasting, and our time on this earth is just but for a while. So, Lord, help us to use our time wisely in your service. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, life is short. Now, to a young child, again, 50, 60 years old, seems like, wow, you've been around forever. I remember as a child, looking at pictures of my grandparents when they were younger, And that was before color was invented, because all their pictures were in black and white. This is a child's mind, right? Okay, so, I mean, you know, that must have been really ancient, because they lived in black and white days. But, you know, the older I get, the shorter I realize time really is. Verse 24 is a quote from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, says, the voice cried, uh, the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the good, goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So I looked it up. This probably was a government study that found this out. Grass grows two to three inches a month. I'm sure that was a government-funded project to figure that out. Some grass only lasts for a season. Then you got to replant it. Not our grass. Our grass is whatever weeds are growing up and keep coming back every year here at the church. But some of you have seen, whether it be on some of these manicured lawns or whether it be at a golf course or whatnot, some of that grass dies and then the next season they got to plant it again. So God relates our life to but grass. 
I think this is why I hate mowing grass. It's a reminder how short life is. That or it's hot. I don't know which it is. But either way, grass grows and then it dies. God says, that's your life. Here for but a moment and then it's gone. I know we know these things in our head, but do we live as though that were the truth? In other words, do we live every day as though this could be my last day here on earth? Or do we live as though I have a long time yet ahead of me? Now, statistically, I should have another, what, good 30 years or so, right? I don't know that. Today could be my last day. James reminds us of this as well. If you hold your place here, turn back just a few pages. Let's go back to James chapter 4 and look in verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4 and verse 13, he reminds us, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time that vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. So what James is saying is, he's not saying it's wrong to make plans. Okay, but if you say, we're going to go into this city, we're going to buy and sell, we're going to make a bunch of money, and this is what we are going to do. He says, it's not the planning that's wrong. It's the attitude and the, the, the not taking knowledge of the fact that if the Lord will, we will do these things. Because do I know that I'm going to have a year to go into the city and buy and sell? No. So yes, I should plan, but I should also realize, one, my life is short. It may end before I get the plan accomplished. Number two, God is in control and God can change the plan if he desires, right? Because I may get to the city and then get sick, and so the whole plan falls apart. But is God still not in control? You know, one of the things that many people struggle with is that we truly don't have control of a lot of, of, our, of our lives. I mean, I can't control when I get sick. It's usually at the most inconvenient times, but then I've sat and evaluated. But when would be a convenient time to get sick? I don't really put that on my calendar. Right here, this week would be a great time. If I had to get sick, this would be the time to do it. I don't think we plan that way, do we? You know, if this were to be the day that I had to die, this is the day I'll pick. We don't think that way. However, as Christians, we should live every day as though the possibility of this being my last day on earth. In other words, if there's something you know you should be doing today for Christ... And you say, I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. You don't know that you have tomorrow. Do it today. Do it today. Here's an encouraging thought. Someone younger than you has already died today. So going back, Peter says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The glory of man. Proverbs 20, 29, The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is their gray head. Or, may I add, bald head. I mean, it is gray what's there, but not a lot there. The glory of young men is their strength. The problem is, guys, as we get older, we have to kind of start to acknowledge after a while, I'm not as strong like I used to be. Now, I'm not weak yet, 
because we'll never admit that, right? But I'm definitely not, you know, you take young men like Jonathan sitting here, right? Strong young man. And he can go and he can lift things all day, work out all day, and the next morning he's just fine. If I tried keeping up that pace right now, I promise you the next morning things would hurt that I didn't even know I had. Why? Because we get older. Now, there is glory in young men having that strength, is there not? But I do like the part that the glory of the old men is their gray head. The idea that, not necessarily the hair on your head, but the fact that, and I don't mean this as a bust on Jonathan, okay, because he's a young man. He just doesn't have as many miles in his odometer as some others in this room do. And therefore, he doesn't have the life experiences that some of us do. He, he hasn't gained some of the wisdom that we have because of the trials we've gone through, the things that we've learned over life. That's not his fault because he just hasn't had the opportunity to yet. But yet older men, there is a glory in understanding. What was the one meme I saw? It had this table and then it had a stepladder on top of it and these Marines holding the table and the ladder and another Marine climbing up to get higher. And the caption says something along the lines of what possibly could go wrong, right? Well, when you're young like that, nothing possibly could go wrong. But as you get older, if an older, wiser man had walked in the room, he'd say, guys, that's probably not the way to accomplish that. Why? Because we've seen a few things. We've done a few things. We've fallen off a few ladders, maybe, right? So there is glory in the fact that God has allowed us to have wisdom. Now, we need to understand this, that all of life is fleeting, right? We're not going to stay strong as an ox forever. But we should also work together in that. In other words, there are times, certain things, that it's okay to let the young men do because they got the strength to do it. But young men, may I say, it is okay to listen to the wisdom of the older men who say that may not be the right way to do it, and here's why. Both ways, we can help each other, right? And we should be. But look at the disconnect in our society today. I remember, again, as a boy, going to nursing homes or going to family reunions and things of that nature, and you'd sit down with the older folks, and you would learn about what it was like before they had running water in their home. You would learn what it was like before they had electricity or what it was like to take a horse or, or a, a, an ox or mule and plow the fields with an animal. You learned about their experiences. Then if it was somebody who served in the military and told you about their experiences in World War II. Now, yes, I understand war stories get better every time you tell them. I fully understand. Sometimes I think mine do too. Okay, not really war stories, but the stories I tell when I was in the Navy, they, they may seem better in my mind than what they actually were when it happened. I don't know, but anyhow, the point being is there were two attitudes toward it. There were those young people who would sit and listen and glean the wisdom of the older. But there was also another group that used to sit there and mock them and say, all these old people just sitting around wanting to tell their old stories about the good old days, and I don't know why they want to rah, 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 you know what I'm saying? And I still hear young people with those two attitudes today. The better part of wisdom, young people, would be the first group that listens and learns from the older generation. 
Listen and learn. There's a lot of wisdom. My mom used to work at a nursing home, and I used to go in and talk to some of the people who lived there. I'll tell you what, I gleaned a lot from these people. I learned a, a lot of things. And I learned about a lifestyle that I really cannot relate to because I never had to live it. But I'll tell you what, there were some tough folks. Proverbs 17, 6, children's children are crowned of old men, but the glory of children are their fathers. I've not met a grandpa yet who doesn't say, would you like to see some pictures of my grandkids? It used to be the old flip-out wallet about a mile long. Now it's, come here, let me show you. And they're going through pictures. I don't know how their phone has that much memory. They're going through all these pictures. Let me show you the grandkids. And about 40, 50 pictures later, you're like, "That's not, oh, wait a minute, I'm not done. The best ones are coming up yet, you know? <laughs> For a young boy, my daddy's the be best. Now, a lot of times during the teenage years, that is lost. But I wonder how much of that is because of the way we treat teenagers in our society. Now, I understand some of it is growing, but how much of it is because the way our society portrays dad as a buffoon on TV all the time. But the grass withereth, the glory of man fadeth away. Beauty withers with age, strength decreases as we get older. You know, the intricate beauty of a flower is but for a short time. And the Bible tells us Solomon in all his glory is not like the flower of the field. We had one year, we put out some hibiscus out front. And, but the problem is when they would bloom, those flowers would last maybe a day, maybe a day and a half, two days, and they're gone. It's like, well, that was pretty while it lasted. Then you had to wait for the next one to bloom. Now, it did have different buds at different stages, and they were coming in fairly regularly. But the point being is they didn't last long. And then they were seasonal, and the plant died at the end of the year anyhow. Again, it just shows it's just but for a moment and fades away. I tell young men, when they're looking at young ladies, oh, she's the most gorgeous thing in the world. Now, I believe you should be attracted to your future mate. But I tell them, let me tell you something that's more important than the physical beauty is her character, the inward beauty. Because I'll tell you which one's going to last. So do not glory in the things of this earth. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in, in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. The Lord says, don't delight in your strength, your wisdom, your riches. By the way, who gave you those in the first place? God did. He says, so don't glory in what you didn't even do. Glory in the fact that you can know me. Did you ever stop and just dwell on that for a while? God says, I want you, my creation, to know me personally and intimately. Because God wants a personal relationship with you. Do you believe that? The strength of man diminishes as we age. Riches can be lost. But a relationship with God is eternal. And that's the focus of this message is having the right perspective. Stop looking at the things of this world and look at the eternal. 
So we not, do not need to bring glory to self. Proverbs 25, 27 is not good to eat much honey for so, so for men to ser- search their own glory is not glory. You know, when I ran for public office, you know one of the things I hated about it was you're basically having to sell yourself. People love to talk about themselves, don't they? But the Bible tells us not to search out our own glory. Let another man's lips praise you, not your own. But in contrast, point number two, to the fleeting, man's life is fleeting, I'm thankful God's word is forever. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I am thankful God is unchanging and his word is unchanging. I read recently an article, a blasphemous article, written by somebody who claims to be Christian, who said the Bible is okay with transgenderism. And I was like, I've got to read this because I knew it helped lower my blood pressure. They said that there's many things in this world that are in transition. Seasons change between hot and cold. And they gave all these other illustrations, you know, of things that change. Therefore, a person changing from male to female is okay. And I'm like, that was a stretch. (laughs) No scripture to back it up other than God's silent about it, so therefore he must be okay with it. I'm like, where's he silent about it? He created them male and female. That's pretty clear. We live in a very perverse society that's trying to make the Bible say anything they want it to say. I am glad that God's word is not up for debate. What he said is what he said, and what he meant is what he meant, and it is forever settled in heaven. And I'll tell you what, the blasphemers that are trying to change God's word will give an account of what they're doing when they stand before the righteous judge. But we have a responsibility to preach the truth as God has given it, period. I was talking with... uh, Brother Tim Daniel and his wife, Karen. Now, I don't know if many of you know, Karen is Canadian, and her family still lives in Canada and whatnot. And they were talking about the censorship of Canada, which, by the way, America has been trying to do. You do remember just a few years ago in Texas, there was a city ordinance that said that pastors have to submit their outlines to the council before they're allowed to preach them. I would tell them, God already approved of it. I don't need your approval. Thank you. Put me in jail if you need to. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant, but if I'm preaching the word, I don't need man's approval on it, period. But let me tell you something. The censorship will probably come to this country unless God intervenes. Are we still going to preach the truth and stand for truth? Or are we going to compromise? Because the, the church loves to stand just a few steps away from where the world is. And it is amazing to me how, if we're not careful, we can start to try to justify and to explain away why we're compromising our standards. Let me tell you, I have some good friends in ministry. And there's been times I've called them and times they've called me when we're struggling with something because we need to help straighten each other out. And there have been conversations that I've had with other pastors of, Am I compromising in this? Yeah, I think you are. 
and, but conversation has gone both ways with it. And I think we need more of that accountability because let me tell you, because then, then all of a sudden they start giving the reasons or I'll give them my reasons and they're like, yep, and here's where the compromise is in that reasoning. Let me tell you, we've got to keep encouraging one another, stand strong, stand strong, stand for what is right. I appreciate so much when somebody in this church comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm praying for you and I hope I'm on your daily prayer list because I need wisdom and discernment every day because let me tell you something. Even trying to stand for truth when you're bombarded by this world every day, the natural man, if we're not careful, wants to start thinking the wrong way. And you start hearing other people's excuses and justifications. I told somebody recently, I said, listen, the temptation when you have people time after time after time coming to you and saying, we like the preaching, but your music is boring. I don't think our music is boring. Or, you know, I just wish that, you know, maybe you could tone down the preaching a little bit. Or all these other things people say. Okay? Sometimes the pressure can be real to say, well, then can we compromise? Can we change? You don't call it compromise because you know that's wrong. Is there something we can capitulate? No. The answer is no. But there's not a pastor out there that's standing for truth that if he were honest with you, doesn't face the temptation all the time because it's pushed on you and pushed on you and pushed on you. We've got to stand strong on the Word of God. And even if everybody else is compromising, we still must stand strong because God's Word does not change. Therefore, we can't give an inch because let me tell you something. You crack the door open and I promise you they're ready to kick it down. You know what's interesting to me? I'm going to apply this to what's just recently happened in the General Assembly. Most of you know I went up there several times asking where is a conception bill. Finally, Keith Kidwell put one in. So a group of us went up there and we tried talking to legislators about pushing the, the conception bill. I tried talking to pro-life organizations about pushing it. And they said it won't go anywhere. If we try doing that, the governor will veto it and we won't get a veto override. So they compromised and did this 12-week thing. And oh, by the way, he's planning on vetoing it and it looks like they won't get their override. So why didn't we stand for what's right in the first place? If we're going to end up with the same result, why didn't we stand for what was right? I am so sick of compromise. Yes, I'm getting a little upset because I'm tired of compromise. And you know what frustrates it most is when I see it in my own life, I'm willing to try to compromise times. And I'm like, no, I got to stop. I can't. I just can't. I'm kind of glad I didn't run for commissioner again because, you know, honestly, in politics, one of the things you have to learn is the art of compromise. You know one of the things you can't do as a pastor? Compromise. The Bible cannot be destroyed. It endures forever. People have tried banning it, burning it, rewriting it, all other types of methods of destroying the Word of God, but hallelujah, it still stands. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise from the law, or pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I love the song, The Bible Stands. The Bible Stands like a rock undaunted. Not one jot or one tittle. And I'm telling you, I've, I've even found in some of our King James translations where 
Different publishers have taken liberty to change some of the words, change some of the things. God said not one jot, that's, that's one type of letter, or tittle was a little mark on the letter. He said not one shall pass away. If we believe God has preserved his word, then what we have is the very word of God translated into the English language for us. And as I said before, I appreciate the respect that the King James translators had that when they would add a word or so to try to clarify it and make it a good English sentence, they would italicize it so we know that that was not even in the original language. It showed a great respect for what they were doing. But the word of God endureth forever. It is incorruptible. Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words. The silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. I'm glad it's not just relevant when it was written, but it's just as relevant today, aren't you? The word of God is available to every generation. Again, the verse says, It endureth forever. Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. But then Paul ends the verse, he says, And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. It is through the preaching of the Bible we hear the gospel. You know, as Troy and I went out Friday in the packet, there was a John and Romans. Some of them had a church track, but many of them did not. And then a little notepad from the church, a little gift for them to have. I believe the word of God is sufficient, don't you? You know, we have one in our church that I know of. Their testimony is they had not really had somebody talk to them about the gospel they had really not been given a gospel track. What they were given was a gospel of John. And they read through the gospel of John. I think he said on his third time when he got to chapter 3, he goes, wait a minute, that's me. And he said, the best I knew how I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior without ever being told how to. Do you believe the Word of God is sufficient? Now, that doesn't negate our responsibility to tell others, but I'm saying the Word of God is sufficient. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Oh, the world calls it foolishness. Why in the world would you want to get up and go to church at 9 o'clock and then stay there for Sunday school at 10 o'clock, and then you're going to stay for another service? What is wrong with you? You must be a real bad person. That's what the world thinks. And then you even go back on Wednesday? That's a little too much church, don't you think? 1 Corinthians 1, 21 for after that, in the wisdom of God, the, word, the world by wisdom knew not God, but pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, Paul's not saying it's foolishness, but that's what the world calls it. The world calls preaching foolishness. He says, well, it's by the foolishness of preaching God chose to save. Think of that. You know, every time you share the gospel with somebody, you are preaching the gospel. So it's by the foolishness of preaching, right? The people hear the gospel. And all the women are like, oh, so I can preach now. You can't pastor, but you can share the gospel with somebody, okay? <laughs> the Word of God is a living book, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is quick, which means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit 
and of the joints and marrow is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows your intents. He knows why you're doing what you're doing. The Word of God makes it clear. I am glad when we study the Word of God that it convicts, aren't you? But I'm also glad that as I study the Word of God and I'm already doing something I should be, that it helps me confirm and keep going in that direction. Kind of like Paul writing Timothy saying the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So for what are you going to choose to live? The vanity of self and things of this world that are going to pass away? Or the God of the Word that does not change? He does not change, nor does His Word change. You and I need to make a choice to live by the unchanging principles of God's Word. Live for eternity. You've heard it said often, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But here's the good news. Even what seemed like the mundane things of this world, having to go to work, go work as unto Christ and understand now there's eternal value in it. Does that make sense? Rear your family according to the principles of God's word and those times of instruction and those times of of with your family, are now with eternal value. See, we kind of separate the spiritual from the earthly, and, and there is a difference. But many of the things, tasks that we do on this earth, done with the right motive, done for the right reasons, can have eternal value to them. But when we say, separate the heavenly from the earthly, what we're saying is this. Don't chase the mighty dollar. It's not going to bring you happiness. Don't live for pleasure. It's not going to bring you happiness. And we can go through the whole list that Solomon told us about because he tried it all. And you know what he found at the end of it? Empty. Vanity. And he comes to the end and says, here the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, he says, please, Don't be a fool like I was, living for self and pleasure and all the things of the world. Live for him. Live for him. Christian, we need to be reminded on a regular basis, having the right perspective. Get our eyes off this world and put our eyes back on Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer.